What's up, guys? This is Iron Sharpens Iron, the number one podcast in Charlotte. I am your host, Chris Whedon. We have a special guest today, Stacy Chan. What's going on, Stacy? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Uh, looking forward to it. Yes, of course, of course. So I've had the privilege of getting to know you over the past couple of, I think, about a couple of months mm-hmm. now. And it's been awesome. It's been awesome learning your story. It's been awesome really just getting to know what it is that you are involved in. So just to give the audience a little bit of background on who Stacy is, you know, you are a co-founder of 1B Stories, which I'm proud to say I am working with yes, now, partnering with, with Whedon Enterprises. So thank you for that opportunity. You are an actress, a journalist, former partnerships lead with Google, which we definitely will get into that later. But let's start on like the exciting side of things. You were nominated for an Emmy Award at age 12. (laughs) You dug that up. (laughs) Yes. Age 12. Let's talk about that. Like, how did that feel? Well, I like to say like all good kids who grew up in LA, everyone kind of dabbles in the entertainment industry. You just can't escape it. And when you're a ham like me and your parents recognize that, they go, let's just channel her endless amount of energy into auditions. Let's see if she can land a gig. And so my wonderful casting director, this cartoon show called Jackie Chan Adventures, decided to take a chance on this 12-year-old kid versus more seasoned veteran actors. And we had a few great seasons. We had five seasons of 96 episodes of the show, I believe. And I guess we caught the eye of the Daytime Emmy Award Academy. And I was one of five nominees back in 2001 for Outstanding Performance in a Cartoon Show. I can't remember the exact title, but it was definitely an honor and one of the highlights probably of my life. So I I peaked kind of early. Hey, well, you were in some pretty cool shows as well, like Disney Channel, I believe, with not Zach and Cody, but who were the the oh, brothers? Drake and Josh. Yeah. That was a fun show. Drake and yeah. Josh. I was like, I know, I just, I knew it was the brothers, but I knew they weren't <laughs> twins. Drake and Josh. How was that? Because that was definitely a show that I grew up watching as well. I watched that show too, which is so funny that you you watch these familiar faces and then you kind of meet them in person. And they're always so lovely. They're very, very sweet. They don't have to be. You know, they're interacting and acting with so many of these smaller cameo characters. And yet they just they take the time to get to know you. They're very kind. I think we're all, I think they were also in the teenage years so we're all in this weird stage of life where we're not quite adults we're not kids anymore everyone's trying to be cool but also professional so it was great i just i loved being on set being on sets in hollywood was was great you got to do your hair makeup you had your trailer typically and because i was under 18 i think for that role they always legally have to have a school teacher on set because you're supposed okay. to still put in your you know six hours of schooling every day which obviously we never did but it was just so fun it was the coolest after school hobby because I still I went to school full time I didn't drop out um, which a lot of actors will do they'll be homeschooled because they just can't juggle the workload with doing auditions all the time but mm-hmm. it was definitely an extracurricular for me because my parents said no way over my dead body are you gonna 
drop out of school or be homeschooled. So I still had to maintain my straight A's. Otherwise, they would okay. not let me act. So it was definitely pulling double duty back then. It makes sense. The only thing I can relate with that is, hey, Chris, if you want to continue to play soccer, you need to keep your grades up. Mm-hmm. So not the same, but similar good in parenting. the fact that they... I, I think... Good I parenting, think good education. Yes, education Yes, first. education first. So you you make a switch, right? So you're used to being on camera and you said, hey, I want to go into journalism. How was the pivot from being on screen to behind the screen? And then what was really the driving factor in your decision? Yeah, I had a definite career pivot. I would say acting to journalism is not a typical career path. But for me, the common thread was still always telling stories. I think in a way with acting, I was telling stories through my physical presence, through my voice. Journalism, I was telling other stories through a pen. And I loved, loved writing. I went to school and majored in journalism, or actually I got my master's in journalism. Very, very few foolish people decide to do that. (laughs) But I decided to actually go back to school so I could tell other stories. And I really believe that the dissemination of information, telling people's human stories in a voice actually is the most powerful way to affect change around the world. And so I became a journalist and intentionally wanted to focus on local stories. There's plenty of amazing outlets out there. The BBC, Al Jazeera, New York Times covering the big international stories that get so much attention. But I wanted to focus in on the local city council meeting. What actually is happening to your tax dollars when you pay your garbage collector fees? Is there another contract that's going on? So I loved this way of storytelling, but being behind the scenes and seeing the power of words. And then as journalism evolved, it wasn't just writing. It was you had to also do photojournalism, videography. And so that was a great experience going to Stanford's journalism program where I got to learn all these different forms of multimedia storytelling. That's great. That's wow. And so you had the experience from both angles. So do you think that gave you a leg up when you went into journalism? Possibly. I think what acting helped me build up was actually a tolerance for rejection. In journalism, it's actually quite difficult to build up those relationships and cultivate sources because it's often stories that don't want to be told. That's what journalists have to do. They have to muckrake. They have to build rapport with certain politicians or the people that actually run the city. And a lot of people don't want to talk to you. I've had the door literally slammed in my face. But since the age of, actually, I started acting when I was seven, rejection was just part of the job. You never knew if you were going to book the gig. You would go on auditions. They never gave you a courtesy rejection notice. You just stopped hearing from them after a while and you assume, okay, probably didn't get the job. With journalism, if people didn't want to talk to you, they quite frankly could be very rude because they were worried that you were snooping around and were actually going to uncover a worthy story. So probably isn't the most positive common thread between acting and journalism, but both careers have helped me build this resilience and thick skin where I don't take things personally and I'm just trying to do the best job I can do whatever career I'm pursuing. I love that. 
don't take things personally. Yeah. You know, I had to develop thick skin myself, especially pursuing the soccer career. Mm-hmm. You're going on trials with, I probably tried out for hundreds of teams, I, you know, especially traveling all over the place and working with an agent and, and you're just getting rejected all over the place. And so taking that experience and then going into the corporate world, I felt like, especially in sales, that was that was probably one of the easiest things because I had been told no my whole life. <laughs> so when you transition into something like that, you're like, okay, no, like no. that. It kind of gets you excited, right? Like the no is like cool. I know the yes is going to come following this no. So let me just pack on as many no's as quickly as possible to get to that yes. Well, how do you have such optimism then, Chris? You're still always smiling. You have such a good attitude on everything. What was it about you that was able to build up that resilience to just keep grinding, even though you had gotten so many no's? Yes. So for me, it's, it goes back to my why, you know, once I, and I think I forgot briefly what I was doing it all for, but once I was reminded, it was, it was really just to provide a better life for my family, make sure that we can travel the world together and have all these experiences that we see on TV. We watch other people live these these lavish lifestyles. I was like, why can't we do that? And so for me, the no wasn't necessarily, there was no reason for me to take it personally because most of the time these people had no idea who I was. That's fair. And so I think back to what you were saying is just don't don't take things personally. Yeah, I'm reading a book about that right now. Hmm. And it's it's powerful because you don't, if you don't take time to actually learn how not to do that, it's it's a it's a long road. <laughs> right. We've got a long life ahead. I mean, as you mentioned, I, I've been through multiple careers and I plan to keep working for a very long time, unless one billion stories obviously makes it super big. No, I'm kidding. I, I I'm so invested in the company. I'm so excited in the why, in in our mission to tell a billion stories around the world. So I wouldn't even retire if I had the chance. If someone came up to us and said, Stacy, let's acquire 1 billion stories and you could be set for life, I would flat out refuse and say, thanks, but no thanks. Because I'm so excited what we're trying to build. And I really do believe we can change the world with good storytelling because that's really the only thing that separates a lot of brands these days. Everyone out there has amazing products, has great value propositions, but I, at least as a consumer, I know that I personally always want to hear the story behind the product, behind the business, because humans are infinitely fascinating to me. And I think that's where yeah, I don't take things personally, because I know that they are human. And I generally try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I do believe that people are good and they all have some iota of an interesting background. And that if we just took the time to understand people's stories a little more, the world would probably be a kinder place. Absolutely. So you've already segued into this. Did you like that transition? I'll always be selling. This was perfect. (laughs) Yeah, this was perfect. So tell us more like the vision behind 1B Stories. I know, yes, we want to tell 1 billion stories, but like what was the vision behind it? And then what is the, the ultimate mission? That is the question that keeps me up every single night, Chris, but it's a good one. I'm so lucky to have incredible co-founders. And so Anu, our main co-founder, was actually my boss at Google. 
And we had worked very closely together back when I was still living in the States, living and working in California. Um, Then I also moved to Singapore, where Anu lives and works, very proud Singaporean. And he had this beautiful vision because he loves storytelling and technology just as much as I do, if not more. And he has the technical chops and the experience having worked at Google in knowing that we actually can tell a billion stories. It sounds very ambitious and grandiose, but because of the tech side, we can build the AI to actually scale up stories of every single brand, creator, professional, publisher in the world, because we genuinely believe that everyone has a unique story to tell. So the only way to get to that kind of scale of storytelling is through tech. And he was tinkering around. Um, After having left Google, he knew he wanted to start a company, built and prototyped the first few stories, knew that this was possible to build these gorgeous, compelling, interactive stories that work across all social media. You can embed it on your website and chat. These stories were possible. And so he recruited, I think, a pretty great ragtag team of storytellers, including myself, We also have Vinesh Negrani, probably more infamously known as Vinny Sharp from Netflix's Singapore Social, and then Ravi Hamsa, who is the probably world's premier expert on web tech. And so Anu is able to assemble this fab foursome. And now here we are today working with incredibly passionate drone folks such as yourself to continue telling the world's 1 billion stories. And hopefully 1 billion is probably an underestimate. Maybe we need to think bigger and tell the world's 7 billion stories. But for now, we're going to try to play it modest and and go after the 1 billion number. Yes, yes. I love that. It's always shoot for, what do they say? Shoot for the moon. And even if you miss, you land among the stars. So if, if the goal was initially one billion, let's shoot for ten billion, right? Let's let's shoot and exceed that because we already know one billion set and that's done, right? And so I truly believe in in the mission. I believe in what you guys are doing one hundred percent. When when you reached out and said, Hey, this is what we have going on, do you want to be a part of it? And I did some research and you sent me um, as many resources and tools to really just dive in and, and like, okay, who, who, who are these people? Like, who is Vinny Sharp? Who's <laughs> Stacey Chan? And so I'm, I'm looking through and I'm like, wow, these individuals have so much experience that they're bringing to the table. One, not only can I learn from them, but two, you have a vision outside of the corporate you know, like it's like, okay, we we did the corporate. Yes, we worked for Google, which is a dream for most people. And you said, even that wasn't enough. Let me take what I learned here and build something that I'm passionate about. And so thank you for allowing me to even be on this We're journey. So with excited you guys to have to you on tell, board. Absolutely. Yes, to tell these stories. So let's pivot real quick to Google, because obviously you land a job like that. People hear about the campus of Google. And they're like, oh, man, like, why would I ever leave? What was it that said, OK, yes, I love and, I, and I'm sure I'm speaking for you. Yes, I love Google, but I want to design my own life. Why the switch? It was not an easy decision. It actually wasn't even something I was really pursuing. I mean, my eight and a half years at Google were, 
I can even add the, the blog post to the footnotes of this show. I, I said, why my 100 months, it was exactly 100 months at Google, were just so magical. I, I truly believe Google has changed the world, not just through its products, but in redefining workplace culture. I actually don't think of Google as a corporation in the traditional sense because it never felt like that when I when I worked there. I truly got to work with some of the smartest, but also kindest people. I got to work on three different continents on so many products that impacted literally billions of people. So yeah, Chris, in a sense, it was a dream job. And then the question is, well, why would you leave? You, you get to a point after you know eight and a half years is, is quite a long time. And I did feel, well, incredibly appreciative of my time there. It was, it was just time for a change. And I have always had this entrepreneurial spirit in me because I just like to get stuff done. I go with my gut a lot and I just want to try things, test things, build things, iterate, fail a little bit, pick myself back up and try again. I do think when you get to a size of a company like Google, it's not as easy to do that. Just naturally, when you're building things for a billion people, there's code that you have to respect and make sure that there aren't bugs and that you're actually testing before you mess with people's privacy settings or things like that. Yes. So we we are in a very different position with 1 billion stories or 1B, just test and iterate. And Anu and I have always been builders. Back in our days at Google, we would always be running around trying this, trying that, convincing our engineers to test out this feature. Could we hack this together? And rather than have that be 20% of the rule, it's now pretty much 90% of our day-to-day jobs. And so this could not be more exciting. Every single day at 1B Stories, is an adventure. I, I truly wake up and I, I always have three things that I'm supposed to get done every single day, bigger picture. And the three changes every single day, week on week, month on month. And the stakes are high and I have to deliver, but it's a driving motivation that I've never felt like anything before. And I can't imagine doing anything other than 1B right now. I love it. So how are you staying focused? How, how are you making sure that, yes, I'm putting energy into 1B, obviously you're, you're building out a company, but you're, you're staying focused on your health, on your physical health, mental health, you know, just because a lot of people, and I pause because I want to make sure I, I ask this question appropriately. There are a lot of different ways to approach succeeding especially in the startup world however people neglect one of two areas which is either mental or physical health you prioritize both of these things and that's why i wanted to make sure i asked these this question so how are you making sure i stay focused on the the ultimate goal of making this business successful but also on my physical and mental health absolutely and i i wish more startup founders prioritized both i think there is the reality having been in Silicon Valley for so many years, there's this crazy pressure, especially with these astronomical valuations of startups. I do think it's evolved into something that we never thought we would see where you have to deliver. If you're getting these $10 million Series A investments, those VCs expect uh, typically a three times, if not even higher delivery on that. And I just don't know how sustainable that is. But I think at the end of the day, what makes 1B so different is the culture that we've built. Yes, we're a startup, 
but because we care so much about stories and the human essence of every single person, that has imbued our culture in we actually don't want to kill ourselves. I'm not expecting anyone on my team to work 100-hour weeks. We have a very healthy work-life balance. If that means you know, you're probably not closing one extra deal a month, so be it. I would rather have a very balanced team that feels excited every day, is not burned out at the end of the workday on Friday where they just collapse and they just sleep all weekend because they need to recover. So it starts with culture and leadership. And that's why I couldn't be prouder of my co-founders because we all have lives. We all care so much about our family. We carve out times like we have big do not schedule blocks on our calendar because people are traveling with their family. They're taking summer holidays. I think of the four co-founders, we've each in recent memory just taken a holiday because we need that mental clarity. We need that recovery. And then we come back even more energized. And then for me, what helps me a lot with mental clarity is the physical aspect. I am a self-proclaimed CrossFit junkie. I'm not embarrassed to say so, Chris. I know you've also joined the cult. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. I love it. I always try to convince all my friends to join CrossFit. They think I'm nuts, which I probably am. But I know myself and I need to have a good burst of physical intense output to actually clear my mind and then help me focus the rest of the day because I can just ride that adrenaline. And I started CrossFit maybe about a year ago. I was always doing some sort of physical activity, but I just found that this format of intense bursts and sprints really worked for me versus the slower pace of yoga, for example, just doesn't energize me. So I just can't emphasize enough how important it is, not just for startup founders, but for anybody to find that physical outlet that'll complement your workday. Because you know most of us are working at a desk job and sitting on your butt for eight hours a day is probably the worst thing you can do. That sedentary lifestyle is the quickest way to degrade your physical health. So finding something that you absolutely love, it could be Zumba, bar, soccer, or whatever it is. Um, It's just so, so important. And if all you care about is efficiency and optimization, exercise will get you there. So if you think like, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time. You absolutely do because you will definitely be much more productive after that that exercise for the day. For sure. And and you're more energized. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny to me how when I tell people, hey, why don't you try this? Like find something that you can do three times like at a minimum three times a week where you're doing some sort of physical activity for an hour, right? And I always get, hey, I've been doing this for like a week. I've been doing this for a couple of weeks or whatever. I feel better. Like I feel more energized. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, good. That's how you're supposed yes. to feel. Welcome to the world of endorphins. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's and once you get that newfound energy, you can apply that energy into the things that you want to build out. And that's or to your family, to your Whatever it is, that's why I I think it's so important to focus on your health because it it doesn't matter if you gain the world and lose and you can't do anything, exactly. right? Like I I know there's a a saying, what does it matter if you gain the world but lose your soul? And in this same sense, what does it matter if you have all the money in the world but you can't travel 
to go experience anything because your health has declined. Exactly. And it's kind of twofold for me, but yes, thank you. I knew you were going to touch on, I knew you were going <laughs> to say something about CrossFit. So. <laughs> hey, it's our common thread. I absolutely love that you've also jumped on the bandwagon. I know my friends were trying to get me to join like three years ago and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. And so it's, it, I'm glad to be a part of the family. Yes. I shouldn't say cult. I'm sorry. That's probably <laughs> inappropriate, but yes, the family. The family. Yes. So what is your goal? You know, like at the end of your life, when you come and meet your maker, right? Like what do you foresee? happening at that moment and you look back on all of the things that you accomplished what do you want that to look like there's the selfish answer and then the do good answer so okay okay i'll start with selfish so hopefully people remember the second answer like well she was so selfish i just want to have as much fun and learn as much as i can on this short time on earth And so that's why I said, well, I've got to start my own company. I've got to join the team and build out 1B stories because that's how I'm going to learn. I mean, if you just are thrown into the deep end in any situation, you'll learn. You'll learn how to swim. It's It's a survival tactic. I had never done a sales role, but I know that's how you and I connected. And I'm figuring out how to really do sales, build out a proper sales team that's motivated every day, build out proper compensation packages. Oh, I had never done this before. And all the while, I'm having a ton of fun. I think for me, learning is synonymous with fun. So I get to every day just try new things, learn new things. And that to me could not be more fun. And because we're a fully remote company, I get to travel all over the world. And that is really my passion as well. So at the end of my life, I want to have no regrets in saying, I really lived, learned, and had as much fun as I possibly could cram into these short few years. And then on on the other side, I really think it's so important that everyone at least tries, within their means, of course, to, to have a positive impact on the world. Leave it a teeny bit better than when you first entered it. I really believe it's possible. And it doesn't have to be this big, grandiose thing. You don't need to save lives, gave up on that doctor dream a long time ago. But just be kind to people, make them laugh, hold the door open for a stranger who might be having a bad day. So I think if I had to print something on my tombstone, it would just say, here lies Stacy. She was a good person and made people laugh. That's all I want. I love it. I love it. We are obviously getting to the end of this segment. What I take away from that, Stacy, is Leave the world better than you found it. It's pretty simple. You know, if you can do that, if you can do that in in any situation, your job, your family, just just leave the things you are involved in better than you found it. Absolutely. It comes to also making your bed every day too. Just leave your room a little bit cleaner than you found it. Yes. That's why I start my day every single day. And that gets me into the mentality of you can do this one small thing wow, can you extrapolate a whole ton for the rest of the day? So this baby I agree 100%. 100, that's the first, if you just build the habit mm-hmm. of these little successes, they start, they begin to compound. Absolutely. And that's what I love about 
successful people. That's why I love connecting with individuals like yourself, because when you are ingrained to win, you know these little successes will ultimately compound to get me exactly where I want to be. And so it's focusing on the minor details, the things that people will say, oh, well, it's just my bed. Who cares? Right? Like nobody's going to see it. Or it's just my car. Who cares? Nobody's going to be in my car. Those are the things I always pay attention Mm -hmm. to because it's like, if I hire this person or if I get in a relationship with this person, they're not going to be focused on like the little things. So I'm going to have to make sure that I'm going to have to come behind and check for this and that. It's much easier for me to be like, okay, clearly maybe that's not the right path Mm -hmm. for me. Let me find somebody I know is checking on these minor details and doing the little things. All of it adds up. A billion little things add up to an enormous impact. Yes. Yeah. So where can we find you on social media or the business on social media? Oh, okay. Let me recite my socials. So I'm probably most prolific on LinkedIn and Twitter. So I think it's just linkedin.com slash IN slash Stacey Chan, or I don't remember the URL structure. Um, And then on Twitter, I'm twitter.com slash Stacey Chan. Perfect. Perfect. Obviously, I'll make sure that we tag it and post so that people can find you. And then what about 1B Stories? What is the the platform for that? We're also, our website is 1bstories.com and we're on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. We're just 1B Stories. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you, Stacey. This is so it much fun. It was a true honor. Yes. True privilege. I, I look forward to continuing to um, grow with you continuing to share the story share the message of 1b stories and and let's let's get over 1 billion right so cheers i like that (laughs) so thank you guys for tuning in as always if there was anything that you could take from this episode my ask is that you please share it and also subscribe because that is how i take care of myself and if there are things that we can work on My ask is that you let us know because we are a community who are constantly working to be the best version of ourselves. So thank y'all again. And until next time, I love y'all. Peace. 